within a sales role, a lot of what you're doing is prospecting and a lot of it you'll go for and you won't get it and you'll be making connections and there'll be really interesting people who know interesting people that's good to just get your name on because I know, because I track everything, recommendations are how we get the quickest sales. So I know all of this work pays off. But when you're a one-person band, it's so hard to take your time out of delivery to do that new business. And I get that. I think it's a really tough switch. Hello, and welcome to the Audience Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Hutchison, and I'm delighted you're here. The Audience Growth Podcast exists to help you learn how to use organic marketing, that's marketing that costs nothing or very little, to grow your business. Far too frequently, small business owners spend lots of money on advertising without getting the results they were expecting or hoping for. And it doesn't need to be that way. So every week, we dive into strategies that will help you grow a business that's here for the long term sometimes on solo episodes and sometimes on longer guest episodes like this one. On today's episode, I'm delighted to welcome Kitty Newman of Trapeze Media to the show. In fact, I'm delighted to welcome back Kitty because you were one of my earliest guests on the show, weren't you? Yes, and it was always one of my favourite moments in my entire life, so I'm happy to come back. (laughs) (laughs) Favourite moments in life. I love it. I'm very happy you're back. And I mentioned this on last week's show, but I want to reassure our listeners today. I promise I haven't run out of guests to invite onto the podcast, but Kitty and I had a chat recently during one of our early morning co-working sessions, and it was about how you've been smashing it in your business this year and precisely what you've been doing to make that happen. So my first thought was that people need to hear about this. So here we are. And Kitty, for anyone who hasn't already met you or listened to our first episode together, could you introduce yourself and give us a brief outline of your business? Yes. So I run a digital marketing agency called Trapeze Media. We started off just doing social media marketing and we've evolved to doing paid search, website builds, SEO, etc. We've been going for six years and we focus a lot on the hospitality and tourism industry. And so, you know, in the last six years, those sectors have had a bit of a tough time. And so subsequently, we've had to adapt and evolve to support those sectors and also ourselves. And so it's been a really interesting time. And yet the growth we've seen has been really exciting. We actually grew 250% revenue in the last year. We are growing year on year. Profits are growing. And we're working with bigger and bigger clients, dream clients, actually. So it feels very satisfying. Okay, so for anybody listening to this who is thinking, oh, that's all fine and well, that sounds great. You've got a marketing agency, you're attracting lots of big dream clients, life is sweet. It wasn't always like that, was it? You didn't start with an agency to begin with. No, it was just me. So I... New digital marketing as a space. I've been in digital marketing for a total of 15 years now, and the business is six years old. And when I made the decision to work for myself, I didn't know if I would have an agency or not. I was just freelance. I got enough money from my first deal to pay my rent, which was Marine Ice's ice cream parlor in Camden. Basically covered my rent, and then I figured everything else is a bonus. That's how I'll eat. that and maybe rely on some ice cream donations. Yeah, a lot of ice cream actually. But yeah, it was just me on my own. And as I got more clients, 
I had to then start making decisions as to whether or not I was going to be delivering all this work or was I going to shift my own output or would I get people in to support me to deliver on the work that we were already doing? And I know that a lot of my clients who I work with are at the point where they want to scale up, but there's often quite a lot of fear around that. Is that something that you felt and you had to overcome? Yeah, I was in conflict a lot, actually, because growing a team just felt like I was shifting a lot of what my existing experience was in. I didn't know how to grow a team. I didn't know how to grow a business. I didn't know how to do accounting at all. I didn't know anything. All I knew was how to sell and how to do digital marketing, as broad as that sounds. So it was a real conflict. And I went in and out of deciding for quite a while because I thought, well, do you know, I could charge my time out at a higher rate and not build a team and just be a consultant. But what I found was that building a team came naturally to me as well. And what I really liked was being able to sell our services and hand over the delivery to another person and observe. And I had to learn quite quickly how to manage people how to take a step back, how to trust other people and communicate. And a lot of this was done in lockdown where we were very remote, which has actually set us up in good stead because we're still fully remote and we work really well as a team, a small team, but we work well as a team. And I think all of that is just different kind of training. That's how I see it. I was learning on the job, really. Yeah, which is what we all have to do if we decide to try and grow our business because it's ground that we haven't ever covered before. Absolutely. My least favorite is still the finance side of things, but I know now to just get people to help me. So it's knowing where you need the support. And when budgets are tight and you have to be quite strict with what you're spending, sometimes I look at the time that I spend agonizing over invoices and chasing invoices and understanding things like that. It's like, do you know what? Spend the money there and keep on with doing X, Y, Z else in the business. And have you heard this really awful fact that if you either hire a man to deal with your finances or if you just set up an email address with a man's name, then they will get paid a hell of a lot quicker? Well, that is interesting. I have not. I have an email address that's credit control. And I actually do have someone called Hilal who helps me chase invoices. But actually, it is me that gets them done because they know I'm the owner. And most of them know me. I find that fact quite funny. My dad has his own business as well, small business. And he has someone that chases invoices, but it isn't a man's name. It's a woman's name, but she's a powerhouse, but she doesn't actually exist. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So I want to pick up on something that you said there, which you just kind of glossed over. And I think that it is absolutely key to our success as business owners. You said, I knew how to sell. So how did you know how to sell right from the off? Yeah, I think, okay, so for me, sales is really fun. I think the reason I enjoy it is I like people and I'm excited by little wins as well. I'm not only excited by the big wins. So for example, getting an email address for the right person at a dream business, I get a little rush from that. Like, it's like detective work, getting a reply, another little boost. All of these little things fill my day with successes. 
ultimately I need to close. And I've got a very keen eye on revenue. I know what we need to be making and targets do really drive me as well. But yeah, I think the reason I'm good at sales is because I find enjoyment through it. It doesn't fill me with dread. And I'd love to be able to help other people feel more confident in their sales approach. Because I think if you take off some of the negative connotations or expectations of what it means to sell, I think the whole thing is just a big old chat and a nice time of meeting new people and having interesting conversations. And I think it's also working out what the problem is you're trying to fix. If you're trying to invent a problem for someone that they don't have, it's going to feel like an uphill struggle, which sometimes is where it feels difficult. But then it's understanding who is your audience? What are the challenges you're trying to solve? Once you know all of that, it's just a bit of fun because you you can really genuinely be very helpful to your target audience. And I think that comes down to being absolutely confident in your service or your product that you're trying to sell, doesn't it? Yeah, which is why as a founder, it probably will always be me doing the sales plus other people to support because we're getting a lot of inquiries at the moment that I can't keep on top of. My next hire will actually be partly a sales role, but it's been pretty much all me apart from one other team member who's brought in a couple of sales, which is exhilarating. I love it. Sarah has brought in a few sales for us. But as the founder and as other founders listening, you'll be the best person to sell your business because not only do you know what you're good at, you also know where you're headed and you can have these sort of strategic chats and conversations with your target audience. So I know that you've got a whole raft of exciting clients that you've begun working with kind of over the last 12 months and before, but there's one that you can talk about and I'd love to hear more about how you won that client. Can you tell us who that is? Yeah, so in lockdown, we worked with loads of hospitality brands and in lockdown, obviously everything shut. Now, this could have, I mean, it did feel terrifying. (laughs) I'd made this decision to focus on hospitality as a sector and suddenly the whole thing comes crashing down before my eyes and around my ears and around into my deepest, darkest depths of my soul. (laughs) I thought, oh no, what have I done? But actually I stayed strong at it. And what it meant was it shook up a few bigger brands that we'd have never gotten the look in, you know, whether it was because budgets were cut or whether in-house teams were furloughed. But we did end up working with Hackersound, which is an absolute dream client, global Michelin star restaurant brand. And we got that purely through organic, me on LinkedIn, writing the right kind of content and blogs that was topical and relevant to their sector around deliveries and the best way to go about doing deliveries, whether you go for a third party app or you do your own in-house deliveries, etc. And we got talking on LinkedIn and we had a meeting and we're still working with them. They're an amazing client to have and they've opened doors for other opportunities. And we're now working with lots and lots of dream clients. So would you say that that kind of activity, you spending time on LinkedIn, connecting with people, writing the right blogs, really staying at the forefront of what was happening in your industry where you are the expert when it comes to marketing, you're really staying at the forefront of those trends. I mean, we talk about delivering value. What you've just described at that time was incredible value for these restaurateurs who must have been lost, really, and wondering what on earth are we going to do next, not knowing who to turn to. There you are, boom, with the answer. Awesome. 
Would you say that it's been your decision to grow a team and operate as an agency rather than trying to be a consultant that has enabled you to free up the time? Because I can imagine people listening might be thinking, oh, I wish I had time to do that level of connection and create that level of content and just be on LinkedIn and, you know, capitalizing on opportunities and staying at the forefront and all that stuff. Would you say that it's been since you hired a team that you've been able to do more of that? Or is it something that you've always been able to prioritize? Definitely for me, it's having the team has allowed me to do that. I've had to take financial cuts at some points to enable that. Luckily, I'm in a position where I can sacrifice some of my own salary as long as my rent's getting paid. I don't have any kids. I think when you've got additional responsibilities like that, I don't know, but I imagine it's a bit of a different story. I can confirm that right now. (laughs) You're right. Yeah. I don't take that for granted, actually. I do know that that it's been good timing for me. But I did that because it was important to me to have the team at this point. And I didn't want to cut their salaries because I want to be reliable. I want the business to be a stable place for my team. And that was a conscious decision that I made to cut my own salary for the sake of the team because the team I could see were enabling me to do what you've just described, which was write more blogs, post on LinkedIn, become a bit of a thought leader in the space. And right now, at this point in time, 2022, the team allows me to do this new business. So put the effort into reaching these key clients and opportunities, which is, again, Within a sales role, a lot of what you're doing is prospecting and a lot of it you'll go for and you won't get it and you'll be making connections and there'll be really interesting people who know interesting people that's good to just get your name on because I know, because I track everything, recommendations are how we get the quickest sales. So I know all of this work pays off, but when you're a one-person band, it's so hard to take your time out of delivery to do that new business. And I get that. I think it's a really tough switch. And you mentioned briefly there about having to do a lot of prospecting and not always succeeding. How would you say you managed to stay optimistic, perhaps in the face of success rates that are not 100%? Well, I actually use HubSpot to track the stages of leads that come in. And I keep on at them and I make sure that I talk to them. I phone them. Getting on the phone is really important to me. And that does keep me optimistic because things are moving. There's progress. Even if it's off the sheet, great. Get them off, get someone new in. The other things that keep me optimistic are seeing the site stats going up and making sure I'm keeping an eye on what efforts I'm making do have an impact. And so I know that when I go and speak at an event, our site traffic goes up and we get a few more email subscriptions. That makes me feel really, really good. I'll look at those email subscriptions. I'll say, who are they? Should I give them a call? All of that stuff makes me feel good because it's the brand getting out there to the right people. And I know that we can get sales in from that. And it's just building every year. I tell you what, though. Sometimes I'm not optimistic and I'm like, oh no, it's not growing fast enough. A couple of times I've had meetings with quite exciting, influential business people that are so far away from my circle of influence. I have to elbow my way into these places sometimes to these contacts and have these conversations. And a few times I've 
kind of showed a little bit of insecurity around the speed that the business is growing, how we're doing. And every time I'm reassured by, no, it's okay. That's what happens. It's hard work. You got to keep on. You're doing fine. You're still in business. And it is also those conversations with people who have been there, done that, where I'm being honest and saying, oh God, I've just seen this other agency that's the same age as me. And it's just sold for like 4 million. I'm nowhere near that. And it's like, yeah, but you know, they've got four founders. It's like, okay, okay. Yeah. I feel good. And then I come up the next day. I'm like, Joe, you know what? Yeah, I'm doing amazing. Let's just get on the phone again. So it isn't always just a machine of positivity. <laughs> <laughs> but you are resilient. Yeah, I think so. I think that comes with time on the job. That's an absolutely key quality in an entrepreneur, I think. And you mentioned there elbowing your way into these rooms. Now, I'm not going to ask you to name any names, of course, but I'd love you to share how you have actually made that happen. If you've got any examples that you'd be willing to share. Yeah, I've got a really good example, but I'm not going to name any names. I was at an event for a client of ours. It was a kind of garden party in Chelsea, darling. And I was in the queue to get in. And I just start talking to the guy behind. I'm like, oh, so how do you know this? And he's like, okay, well, yeah, I'm one of the early investors. My ears prick up, you know. I was like, oh, yeah, so what's your name? And I said, what we do. So I said, we do the digital marketing for the brand. He said, oh, yeah, okay, I need a bit of help with my Wikipedia page. My ears prick up again. Okay. So I'm like, right, Kitty, get his name. Make sure you remember his face. Get his full name. So then I do. I say, cheers, see you later. I don't see him for the rest of the night. Get home, Google him. He's a massive deal. He's a big business deal. So then I just do a bit of digging around. I find out that he's a speaker. So I contact his speaker agency and say, oh, I spoke to you at an event. I'd really like to get this message to him. Can you get this message to him? They didn't get back to me. I sent it to another speaker agency, didn't hear back. A few months went on and I had a meeting with the person that arranged that party. And I said, oh, I met this person in the queue and I'm really keen to talk to them because they need help with their Wikipedia page. He email introduces us. I don't hear anything from said contact. I then email back and say, look, person, I just need 20 minutes of your time. I can help you with your Wikipedia page. Can you speak at this day on this time? And I always do that in emails when I want to speak to someone. I just say a day and a time that I'm available, usually with a bit of a window either side. And then they can just look at that specific date. You've got to make everything as easy as possible. And do you give them a bit of a runway? So it's not like next week or tomorrow. How much of a window do you give them? Oh, I'll give some time. Yeah. I want them to have space in their diary, maybe a couple of weeks. And he emailed back with just saying, yeah, okay, I can do that for 20 minutes. Here's my number. So I give him a call. He tells me his Wikipedia page problem. I keep an eye on the time at 20 minutes. I'm like, thank you. I'll see ya. Then I get him a solution. I email it over. Then he says, thanks. And then I send a bit more of a like upfront explanation of like why I want to meet him, what's happening with the business, our turnover, what our plans, our ambitions. And then he takes me for dinner. And then he introduces me to an absolute advertising icon that he knows. And now I'm meeting her for coffee. So it's effort, but it's keeping your ears pricked up for where people have problems that you can fix and doing a little bit of a favor for the ones that are of value, not for anybody that's going to just be a waste of time. I mean, someone that's of value. And probably the ones who haven't asked you so you can surprise and delight them. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 
if someone else asked me to do something for free and we're already talking, I'm like, no. Someone did that last week, pitched for a piece of work, content creation, gave them the price for the videos. And they said, can you just do a video for free? And I just said, no, no, (laughs) sorry. Uh, Yeah. Can I just come to your shop and help myself to your items for free? No. No, it doesn't work like that. (laughs) But in the same respect, a client, we just won today, actually. Oh, yay. Congratulations. I won't say again who it is because, you know, contract's not signed. That email has been sent saying we've won it. But for that, we made six videos for the pitch. They didn't ask us. We want the work. We're talking about a decent retainer. It's worth us doing that piece of effort to get the work. I think that's a very different scenario where you want to give your time and your expertise and you want to make the best impression you possibly can because you want this to be a long-term relationship. That's very different from somebody coming and saying, can you do something for free because I'm not really convinced by you yet. Okay, so the title of this episode is The Secret Growth Hacks That Are Working Right Now. And I know that we've touched on the fact already that you love sales, but I'd like to dig into that a bit more. So can you tell me how you break down sales and what your approach is to selling? Yeah. So I'd say there's sort of three parts to a sale and different people are more comfortable with different areas within that. At the top, you kind of got your cold outreach, whether that's just getting on the phone and phoning your dream clients, trying to get some contacts, trying to find someone to meet, or whether that's networking to get your contacts, get your leads, but but essentially bring in relevant leads and talk to relevant leads. I do think there's a case for lead generation for sales. Absolutely. But if we're talking the most streamlined sales process, I think it starts with you having a conversation with someone. Then it moves into the pitching stage. Very nice not to pitch like Nikki. I pitch for everything. I know a lot of people in the creative world that don't pitch. And I think it's absolutely fair enough. I don't ask anyone I'm working with to pitch, especially in the creative world, because I can look at their work. But we do pitch. And I've got to say, I still use the capstone pitch format because I just think it's really great. So I have to say that up front because I don't want Daniel Priestley to think I'm ripping him off. But it is just a very, very good formula. So if people haven't heard of Daniel Priestley, he's an entrepreneur and an author. And Kitty and I met on Daniel Priestley's program online because it was supposed to be in person and then it switched online straight away because it started, I think, in March or February 2020. And it's called Key Person of Influence. And it's a really fantastic program. And we've never met in person yet. We will be. You mentioned earlier that you speak at events and actually I'm going to share a link in the show notes and I'll mention it at the very end of this podcast. So do stay on and listen. I'm going to share details of an event that I am hosting with some friends in Edinburgh and Kitty is going to be coming and talking about all things SEO. So definitely stick around to hear the details of that. Daniel Priestley, he has a book called Key Person of Influence. That's where you'll find the details of the capstone pitch if you're interested. Yeah, so I follow that. But essentially, there's the clarity at the start. So I really like to present us as an authority in our experience and present trust in who we are. And I'm a very casual person, but in a pitch, I can be quite to the point and a little big headed seeming. When you start to say these things that are amazing about yourself, they feel uncomfortable for a time. And then at some point it doesn't feel uncomfortable anymore. It just feels 
right that you should be giving people the opportunity to know why they should trust in you. You've got to build trust with these people for them to buy into you. So that's really important. And I do that with all of the team. So if I'm pitching with Sarah, I'll also demonstrate what strengths Sarah's has and examples of their results that they've made for our clients and always keeping it relevant to who we're pitching to. So I build trust at the top of the pitch. I then go into our services. I really try and talk as little as possible. I try and let the clients talk as much as possible because we all know what their problems are, don't we? But it's great for them to also say what their problems are because then you can explicitly solve it there. And it's good for that kind of process for them to then realize what they do need help with. And also, you know, we think we know, but we might not. So then, yeah, go through the services. And if I'm stopping to ask them something, this is very old school sales, but I'll never ask a yes or no question. I'll ask what, why, and how questions, because you get a lot more information. Often an objective we get is that they've used an agency before and it doesn't work and it's better to have an in-house team. So often I'll ask what didn't work with the old agency. Then you find out what they don't like. Then you just get a lot more information from the client that you can push back on. So that's the middle. And then you've got the third section of the sales process, which is closing. Now, closing's a hard part. All of it's hard. Starting, it's hard. Most people are kind of comfortable with the pitch if they're comfortable in the sales process at all. And then closing is another difficult one. And what I've learned is the power of space in the room. You know your price, be confident with your price. I'm also very respectful of people's budgets. If they can't afford it, they can't afford it. Let's look at what they can afford. Let's take something out and then close that. But essentially give the number time to breathe in the room. And often I'll find that I do need to get back on the phone with these clients to get that close. I don't often get it just over an email after the pitch. So the way that my communications go with the client usually is once I've got talking to them, got their interest, we'll have one online call or one real life meeting. They'll say, yes, we want you to pitch for this. I'll then take that away and I'll say, okay, da, 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 get my thoughts straight. Then I'll not send the pitch over email. I'll say, right, we've got the pitch together, even if I haven't. Can we present to you on this day? Then I've got a deadline. I'll get the pitch done for that day. Then we go and present. We put forward all the numbers in the room. We let the number breathe. I say things like, how does that number suit you? What are your thoughts on that figure? They'll say whatever they want to say. Yeah, okay, it's a bit higher than we expected, but we could work with it. Uh, we just need to go and talk to some other people. I say, okay, cool. Well, let's talk next week. Then I'll just be getting on the phone to them and ringing them. And if they're not answering the phone, I'll be emailing to say, let's talk about the proposal and then we get on a call. And what has your success rate been like recently? Because I know that probably a lot of people listening might be thinking, I'm not having a lot of luck right now. You know, we know from the media and what's going on in the world, people are pulling back budgets in some industries, in some cases. So I'm interested to know whether that's something that you are seeing or whether you are just on this trajectory and haven't been affected so far. The way that our business has shifted is who we're targeting. So what's been great for us is that those bigger brands are interested in us because we're probably lower budget than the big agencies that they used to work with. So I've shifted our focus to those bigger brands. So we're still able to make the sales because we're cheaper than what they're used to paying for. 
we're not working with the small independents anymore because it's just tough out there in the hospitality space. But we deliver training programs, which we get business improvement districts and councils to pay for so that the smaller businesses can come and we'll give them our knowledge for them to run and manage in-house. So I think what we've done is just shifted who we're targeting, to be honest, to counteract the budget squeezes. We've not scrimped on our fees. Our fees have gone up. We're making good money. We're not charging as much as bigger agencies, but I know what we need to be charging to make it work for us. But no, we're not scrimping on that. And on our conversion rate, so I don't actually have a conversion rate for you, but I can tell you what's happened in the last sort of six months. We had a real lull over summer. Now this happens to us. Heather, who's the OG, she's the GOAT, the greatest of all time, of (laughs) Trapeze Media and still features a lot of our documents because she was just like process queen and understood the patterns. And she would reassure me, each summer, like, Kitty, don't worry, like, it gets quiet over summer. I said, okay, but it's still inbuilt in me to fill our pipeline. If we have not got a pipeline of leads, which often happens when I have to take my time away from new business into delivery, because again, as a small team, if we win a load of new clients, I have to help the teams to deliver them because we're a small team. So inevitably, our pipeline gets smaller. So in summer, I spent a lot of time in new business. And now we have a flurry of new business activity and are making sales a lot. We are talking to the right kinds of people. We're talking to pub groups, restaurant groups who are negotiating with me. But I know my bottom line and I'm happy to negotiate. And so, yeah, conversion has improved the last couple of months since we've gotten out of summer. And because you have really niched down when it comes to your targeting. Yeah, that's it. Excellent. And you've got a couple of revenue streams there as well with your training income as well, which is good. Yeah, which is really nice. So I try and sell a training day a month and trying to bring in a new retainer client a month. Those are the targets at the moment. They're not unreasonable targets. They're very achievable, actually. I'm not saying I achieve them all the time. And that is, again, because my time does shift when we bring in new business. So yeah, anyone that's listening that's like, oh, okay, great. It's still as a founder of a small business, you still have to adapt a little bit. And anyone who is perhaps struggling. So I'm not going to dwell on what's going on in the world. I think everybody listening is fully aware, but there are challenges, right? So if anybody is listening to this and thinking, that sounds like the dream. I wish I had a full pipeline. I wish I had a flurry of inquiries. I wish I knew really confidently how to sell. What would you say to that person to think about first? Well, Joe Nikki, that's really hard because I think I would really like to know the skills of each person listening because there's loads of ways to go about this. And the way that's most comfortable for you is going to be the most successful. I would say you do need to push yourself out of your comfort zone. If you're not up for calling someone, what are you up for that does push you a little bit? Because those are scary things to a lot of people. And I really do appreciate that. But you don't need to be a salesperson as you might think of it. What does make you feel comfortable? So I would say something like, would it make you really comfortable to just be really upfront when you call the person and say, 
Look, sorry, I'm a bit nervous about this call, but the reason I want to talk to you is that we do this service and, oh God, makes me feel a bit nervous phoning. Ha ha, I hope that's okay. And they'll be like, oh God, okay, don't worry. What is it? And you're like, oh, well, actually, yeah, we make socks for llamas over winter. And I know that you've got a llama farm and, oh God, I know I feel so, so, so silly, but do your llama's feet get cold? And they'll be like, oh, ha 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 ha, that's so funny. Do you know what? I've never thought about my llama's feet getting cold. And then you can say, well, what what, what sort of shoes do your llamas wear? And they'll be like, oh, ha, 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 ha. My llamas don't wear shoes. You'd be like, okay, well, then they definitely need socks if they haven't got shoes. <laughs> I love where you've gone with this. <laughs> but I think that that is a really nice approach is to be honest. So I take that honesty approach a lot. So if it's a brand that I love, I don't want to gush over anybody or anything like this. But I will just say that we, you know, I love a brand. Like the client we just won is a restaurant and my sister's boyfriend loves their food. And I once, for his Christmas present, their delivery range doesn't reach his house. So I said, look, for Christmas, I give you a kitty delivery voucher anytime you want. With 24 hours notice, I'll go and get you the food. So I did in the rain. And that's one of the stories we told to this venue to get them to understand our personality, that we love the brand. So to answer your question about What does that person listening who's saying to themselves, I wish I had this, a little bit of confidence and bravery to just pick up the phone, do it on your own, do it in your living room. If you work for someone else and you have to go into the office, just say, look, I want to do a sales day at home. No one's listening in. No one's judging you. Just call up some random companies and practice, like just get playful with it and have nice chats. I think that's good advice as well. Start with the ones that don't matter to you as much. Don't go straight in for your top tier target because you do want to build up that practice. And I would also add to what you've said, which I agree with, making sure that you're alone, you've got space. I would also add, block that time into your diary. And I do exactly the same every Tuesday and Thursday, all day in our shared calendar. It says, do not disturb Kitty, new business. That is in the calendar every single week. At the moment, I'm doing new business all week because we've got so many inquiries, which is the dream. And just to add on to that thing of, because I know phone calling is hard. If you're more comfortable writing, blog writing or things like that, LinkedIn is just brilliant for new business. You will need to get on the phone at some point and it's just a fact. You need to talk to people to do sales, in my opinion, and practicing is good. We had a person, Jade, who's amazing, working with us for a bit and was getting her on board on new business because she was just a natural networker. She was a great talker. She just needed to know the product. And the thing is, even if she didn't know the product that well, I just knew she was going to make great connections and get meetings. And if you can get meetings, find out their problems. Don't worry about it being sales because it's just trying to be helpful. Awesome. So hopefully that has smashed some of the myths around selling needing to be scary and giving you really valuable insights to some of the things that are working right now for Kitty in her successful business, which is going to go on to even greater things. I have absolutely no doubt. Thank you so much for sharing so generously today. Nikki, it has been an absolute pleasure as always. Well, doubly thanks for joining me on our second episode. And I'm going to remind everybody about the details of the event where they can actually come and hear you speak in Edinburgh. And we're going to meet in person for the first time. Looking forward to it. All right. Take care and I will see you very soon. Bye, Nikki. 
Thank you so much for joining me and my fabulous guest, Kitty Newman, on today's episode of the Audience Growth Podcast. Now, I've mentioned it a couple of times during the episode, but if you are interested in learning all the very latest ways to grow your business in 2023, then you must join me for an event that I'm hosting in collaboration with some very good business friends in Edinburgh on Thursday, the 9th of February. Adventures in Marketing is Edinburgh's latest and I dare to say greatest business and marketing event specifically targeted at small business owners who are looking to learn how to use marketing to grow their businesses. So if that's you, then join me, Nikki Hutchison, my good friend, Abby C of Sea Change Creative Content, also known as The Launch Lifeline, and Andrew and Pete, who are digital marketers and hosts of their own event, Atomicon, which is happening in Newcastle in June. Andrew and Pete appeared on this podcast on one of the earliest episodes, so go back and have a listen to that one if you're not sure who they are. We will also be joined by a plethora of amazing guests covering lots of different marketing methods and approaches to business because I think it's really important to remember not to be dazzled by social media and feel like that is the only way you can grow your business. In fact, that's a very difficult way to grow your business. You need to combine it with lots of different ways or even, as one of our speakers is going to be talking about, you might want to consider coming off social media and growing your business in a completely different way. So go and have a look at our event page. The URL is adventuresinmarketing.uk and the tickets are for sale now. If you're very quick, there might be a few of our tier one early bird tickets left for you. But if not, don't worry, you still have plenty of time to join us. So go and check out that page now, adventuresinmarketing.uk and we would love to see you there. You've been listening to the Audience Growth Podcast with me, Nikki Hutchison. A new episode is released every Friday at 7am UK time. Make sure you've subscribed so that you never miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the podcast, do consider leaving a rating or a review because they make a huge difference. So thank you very much. And I'll be back again next Friday morning at 7am with a brand new episode. I'll see you then.